Welcome to everyone's favorite Tetsuya Nomura slash Final Fantasy 15 podcast. This is episode 16 of that, where we're just going to talk about more about Final Fantasy 15, how much we love those games and all of Nomura's hits. They're the I best. Hate, I hate you. <laughs> That's our real dumb April Fool's goof, or at least mine, that I hid <laughs> from Manladium. <laughs> you got to do something for April Fool's, even though April Fool's is like literally one of the worst holidays because it's completely stupid. Yeah, it's super stupid. Be nice to your friends today. Be nice to your friends. Don't don't listen to brands on Twitter or social media. Whatever they post, because it's it's just going to be BS. Let's be real. Yeah, anything game news, just ignore it. Man, Any- we should have done an episode on like the real bad April Fools' like jokes in the video game oh, industry. There have been some real bad ones. <laughs> there have been. Wow. Dang it. Well. Anyways, this is episode 16 of the Seasonal Anime Checkup OVA. I'm Jared, joined by bedridden, very sick, and Ladium, which it's going to progress into next week because we filmed that or we recorded that one before we did this one. She's still sick. Yay. Um, yeah, it's not an illness that has lasted for two weeks. It's one that has lasted for several days and um, somehow has... I think gotten worse than it was when we recorded episode 17. So, um, yeah, I might sound a little bit exhausted and that's because I am. We recorded episode 17. You went to work the next day, got sent home before getting like an IV stuck in you and then basically slept for 24 hours. Yes. That's exactly what happened. Which is just like, good Lord. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then you wake up today and it's like, oh, we, we got a podcast. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much what happened is I dragged myself out of bed. I was like, we have to get this done. It has to happen. <laughs> and like, legitimately, the only thing that I want in life right now is pizza. And I know that I can't eat pizza because it's going to be the worst thing for me to like try and consume if it decides to come back up. That would just but completely wreck you. It would. I just I'm craving pizza so bad. I, I mean, I as you normally do. I, well, it's true. I do normally crave pizza. But, like, for example, when I got my tonsillectomy, like, the one thing I was craving was, like, chips and queso. <laughs> and, like, you can't have chips and queso after you've had a tonsillectomy. So, like, my body is – it makes no sense. It's like, hey, I want these things that I clearly cannot have, but I want them right now. Chips and queso would be, like, the – the absolute worst thing you could have had oh absolutely 100 percent. my mom's like um you could have that after you heal but <laughs> as of right now we're gonna give you pudding you're just like I'm, I'm not gonna want it by then right and like i i legitimately have not been able to look at like jello and pudding or anything like that since i had the tonsillectomy uh <laughs> because i ate so much of it yeah i can i can imagine that uh well today we're going to talk about a series of games that you very much enjoy. I do. That don't involve getting your tonsils taken out, but probably some real bad other stuff. Yeah, it can be somewhat gory and gruesome at times, yeah. but it's it's not not tonsil-like to me. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about the Zero Escape series and do another retrospective on those. So if you listen to the Persona, Sailor Moon... Danganronpa retrospective episodes you have the basic idea of what we do for those 
But if not, and this is your first time listening, here's what we do. We go through, we release info of when they came out, we talk about some development information and history, and then we basically give our opinions of each particular game that we talk about. Yep, and um, the reason that we're doing this now is uh, they just released the Nonary Games edition, which surprisingly, I, I talked about this with you before the podcast, it's uh, 999 and Virtue's Last Reward in one package, uh, and it's great, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but um, it doesn't include the third game, so that's kind of a bummer, yeah. but we wanted to talk about this now because of that release. Which is essentially what we did with the Danganronpa one too, because that one had the thing come out, and it's like, oh, well, we should probably talk about this. And it's like, oh, the, a week later, the Zero Escape one comes out. Sure, <laughs> why not? <laughs> Just great timing on all that stuff. We 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 kind of talked about this, you know, before we get into the full episode of like why Zero Time Dilemma is included in the Nunnery games. And yeah. I was kind of thinking that like, you know, that game just came out in July, June or July of last year. So mm-hmm. it might just be too new to put in that thing. And I kind of, I've been kind of thinking about that since then, since we talked about it. Maybe the way that thing's optimized, like, it might not have worked on PS4. Or it might not have been easy to get that thing on PS4. I mean, I know it's on PC and Vita and 3DS, but just, like, the visual styling of that game. Like, maybe there was just, like, some weird hiccups that, like, they couldn't put that in there. But also, they announced this thing and think in like august or september of last year and it was basically from then on it was like oh we're remaking 999 and then we're just gonna throw virtue's last reward in there as well for for funsies so maybe it just was never in the plans for to have all three games maybe that'll be sometime down the road like next year or something like that yeah but now they've taken the good name like you can't do the nonary games again as the (laughs) the nonary games of the year edition maybe but <laughs> it, it just is kind of weird in my opinion that that you have the first two but not the the last one but it makes sense your reasoning on why why they didn't um and i mean in all honesty well i guess i'll talk about this later but the first two are the best ones anyway yeah so well let's get right into this let's do it let's talk about 999 do you know th- Give me the subtitle in proper order, because you did this the other night. <laughs> oh crap! Um, it's hours. I know it starts with hours. Is it? I'm not gonna look at this Google sheet. I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> nine hours, nine persons, nine doors. Correct. I did it! Yay! For the second time. All this week. <laughs> I can... Maybe being sick is good for my memory. <laughs> the one good thing. Yeah, I can never ever get that subtitle right. So I just always call it 999. That's, I think pretty much everyone. I think they re-released this on DS and it was just like... Zero Escape Volley 1, 999. <laughs> and I don't yeah. think they put like, the subtitle or anything on there. Or anything. But... Here's some release info for this game. This game originally came out on the Nintendo DS... Not 3DS. On December 10th, 2009 in Japan. <laughs> so this game is approaching 10 years old. Which, oof, Too old. And then eventually November 16th, 2010 in the US. And then it was, I think, re-released in both Japan and the US. I don't have those dates on here just because, like, that would clutter everything up. Mm-hmm. It came out on iOS 
for iPhones and iPads on May 29th, 2013 in Japan and March 17th, 2014 in the US. And then a PS4, Vita, and PC on March 24th, 2017 in the US and eventually on April 13th, 2017 in Japan. Which, for clarification, I actually bought this game at release um, on the DS for the US version. So um, I had like the original box art and everything, which the original box art is not nearly as effective as the re-release box art that they had, the one that called it 999. Which is just like zero, I think, on the cover. Zero and then the hands reaching for each yeah. other. Um, the first one had like all the people just on the cover and I was like, okay it's kind of goofy looking it is it is but um so i had the original version and it was it was great i'm telling you it was it was kind of a mind-blowing game so we kind of have like different experiences with how we play this game because you played on the ds originally Mm -hmm. my first experience was the ios version which Mm -hmm. there's a big yeah the the big difference is like they stripped out all the puzzles and it's just kind of it becomes a a a visual novel i was trying to say virtual novel which that's probably something completely different Probably. Let's talk about some developmental information first. Uh, this interview is from somewhere, Silicon Era, because I got like I grabbed a lot of questions from it. Yeah, you did. Uh, first question: What inspired the story of Nine Nine Nine? And then the subtitle. And then all these answers are from Kotaro Uchikoshi, the director of of the Zero Escape series and head writer and all that. Uh, he he did all like pretty much the interviews. He did. Um, there's a like a question and answer thing on the 999 and Virtual Zest Reward website that kind of mm-hmm. goes into characters and all that sort of stuff. So I didn't grab like a bunch of stuff from that because there really wasn't a lot of development stuff in that. But his answer to the inspiration of the story, I think that's a great question. Reason being, my inspiration came from exactly that: the question, where do mankind's inspirations come from? That question alone was the root inspiration to this title. It all started from there, and I started to read up on all sorts of documents. That's when I came across an English biochemist named Rupert Sheldrake, and I found out about his theory on the morphogenetic field. Why did glycerin start crystallizing all of a sudden? When you make rats clear a maze, why is that with each new generation, the clear time gets shorter? Why is it that as more people know an answer to a specific question, the chance of people knowing knowing the answer goes up? Why is it when you were talking about a friend, you happen to get a phone call from the exact friend? Why is it that you're at a cafe talking about Paris Hilton, the person next to you happened to be talking about her as well? Rupert Sheldrake's theory gives us hints in order to answer these phenomena, and this theme become became the main theme behind 999. It also shows you the age that he's actually referencing Paris Hilton yeah. at all. <laughs> I think this uh, interview was from like a it wasn't it was like from a little bit after release, so maybe like 2011 or something like that, but yeah. Also, that's a very specific answer. <laughs> Yeah. You kind of get from like his answers a lot of these like he's he's way more enthusiastic about talking about his games than like uh Kadoka was with Danganronpa. Yep. Which we kind of talked about that uh, off recording, but yeah, that was just a fun thing I I noticed with like all these interviews I picked out. Yeah, he, he seems really enthusiastic and um uh, I think that's really cool about him, but he he really did a lot of research into like these wacky scientific ideas that he wanted to implement in in his game and you can clearly see that because i mean who who the heck knows who rupert sheldrake would be (laughs) yeah unless you're what like a biochemist yourself like 
probably not. Yeah, I mean, it's it's bizarre, but he he really did put in a lot of research on on um on just strange things that he throws in the games, and I think it's pretty cool. And he's clearly very very passionate about this series, which I, I like a lot. He um, he's also kind of less of a d- about it. <laughs> <laughs> there was a there was something else I, I another interview I found that I didn't put in here, but like he pretty much says like you know he battles like social anxiety. And he like he was talking about like how he never really wants to do interviews or go up and talk in front of people, but basically he just like he has to do that in order to like get people to talk about his games and all that sort of stuff. It's relatable. Uh, next question: Compelling characters <laughs> are, <laughs> compelling characters are key to driving a story-based game like Nine Nine Nine. How did you design this group, and were there any characters or character types that didn't make the cut? Uchikoshi. Since the number nine played a vital role in the storyline, I set my characters using the concept of enneagrams <laughs> as a base to come up with my characters. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Probably not. According to the enneagram, that's E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M of personalities, mankind can be classified into the following nine groups. One, the reformer. Two, the helper. Three, the achiever. Four, the individualist. 5. The Investigator 6. The Loyalist 7. The Enthusiast 8. The Challenger 9. The Peacemaker If we accept this classification, then that means society consists of these 9 types of people, and the characters from 999 represent these groups. Then we can say that the interweaving relationships these characters have with one another can be a depiction of today's society. And here I ask you, what type do you classify in? According to the test I took, I seem to be classified strongly into four and five, which makes me an individual individualistic investigator. Makes me seem like a d- huh? <laughs> Actually, let's back up. Chunsoft and 999 scenario writer are visual ni- novel veterans. I think that's a, is that a that might be a different question, but let's continue on. What elements do you need to make a compelling visual novel? A comfortable workplace, an environment where you can spend the night, skilled development staff, a nice project manager, a reasonable production budget, a reasonable development time, a place where you can smoke cigarettes, earplugs, a PC that won't break on you, and a calm wife that is always smiling. As long as you have those, you can make a compelling visual novel. However, for me, the last point I mentioned is the only thing that hasn't come true yet. Aww. Once again, (laughs) with the way he talks about characters, very specific answer. Yes. Um, although I find it interesting that uh, he, he has nine as the peacemaker, because um, I'm thinking of the ninth man. I'm like, you're not really a peacemaker at all. So I wonder if like those are all just like, he scrambles those up. I don't know, because some of them actually somewhat fit. I mean, like, clearly five fits perfectly. Or maybe he's just, he's just switching them up as well. Like, being like, hey, number nine is peacemaker. What if I was like, nah. The opposite of Peacemaker. Right. Yeah, I mean, because some of them really do fit, and then that one's just not. I don't know. It's it's an interesting idea that he's using these kind of, like, person archetypes as his, as his character basis. You want to talk about some puzzles? Let's talk about some puzzles. It's a big part of the game, <laughs> unless you're playing iOS. Yeah. 999 has puzzle elements, too. Can you tell us about the puzzle-making process? Uchikoshi. In the middle of the night, my daughter, who wasn't even a year old at the time, woke me up, so I gave her milk, changed her diaper, put her to sleep, and after sleeping for a couple of hours, I gave her some more milk and changed her diaper again. 
Then I made breakfast for my, my wife and myself, washed those dishes, cleaned the bathroom, took out the trash, and said, I'm off to work to my wife, who lay sprawled on the sofa watching TV. After which, I went to work, then turned on my PC, and I came up with puzzles as I scratched my head while using puzzle-related sites as references. <laughs> I don't even understand, like, why that entire story had to exist, but it also is kind of, like, really indicative of 999 and how much just, like, irrelevant storytelling is sometimes in there. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's how you make puzzles, right? Uh, apparently, you 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 just go give... about your daily life. Yeah, and then go on puzzle-related sites as references. <laughs> that's really funny. Uh, let's see here. Can you tell us about the creation of the escape system? Why did you make these puzzles based on items? It's similar to what I said earlier, but the fact that you find something, combine it with another item, then using it for something else is linked to mankind's instinctive desires. That's why it's just simply fun. I have a daughter that's almost two years old. Whenever I ask her, can you go get me the little red riding hood book? She wobbles over to the bookshelf and searches through all the books until she finds that one book. Once she finds it, she screams, found it. I found riding hood with the biggest smile. She hasn't mastered the combine and use factor, but the fact that she has discovered something gives her great happiness. Just like that, the 999 escape system was made to provide you that innate instinctive pleasure of I found it. I wish for the users to experience that I found it pleasure by playing 999. I just love that he's like, my daughter inspired this really brutal killing game. But also it's like, he's kind of right. No, he is. I mean, he's 100% right. <laughs> Which is just the, the weirdest thing. It's it's hilarious, though. That's the second one he references his daughter inspiring, though. While visual novels are an established genre in Japan, they aren't as popular in the West. What do you think can make the genre more mainstream? It is very true. This genre has gained more popular or much popularity in Japan. However, since Japanese manga and animation is widely accepted in the U.S., we can also hope that the scenario characters we will be accepted in the U.S. as well. Since the re release of the iPhone slash iPad, the culture of reading has been spreading. These devices can break down the barriers, and we believe that there is room for the visual genre to spread throughout the world. Spread. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> you caught me off guard. <laughs> and then these... Um, oh, sorry. I was going to say, isn't there a... Uh, uh, I don't remember. Anyway, um, isn't there something where he's saying like that Japanese people like to read more? Uh, that is, a, is that uh, later in the interview? That's, that's a later uh, question we have. Oh, okay. But yes, so, that is a thing. So that's really interesting that he, he has this like idea, which, um, you know, based on the current political situation i'm not entirely unconvinced that he's wrong um but it's really really fascinating to me we dealt with this with Danganronpa. we dealt with it now with uh with uh Noner game zero escape whatever you want to call it um that there seems to be like a huge like cultural divide that they feel like is a hindrance to releasing visual novels right uh, and i'm wondering like what what does make it so that like U.S. players are individual novels? Because I love them; I think they're great. Um, but again, it, it's kind of like in the Danganronpa episode. They were talking about how these visual novels that I'm playing do have gameplay elements. So it's just a really interesting thing to kind of like mull your head over. I don't know. I wonder if it's, if it goes just back to how English-speaking gamers have been acculturated to 
privilege gameplay over story. Yeah. And like that's the reason why it's kind of been a weird barrier to, barrier to jump for for these visual novels to make a an impact in the U.S. market because you'll see it often. Like I mean, look at games like like Gone Home, like Firewatch, like Life is Strange, who are very very story heavy, and people will just shit all over them because there isn't much gameplay in them. And I've always been the type that I prefer the story over the gameplay. Right. So, I don't know. Um, it's just a really interesting like idea, idea to think about and consider, like, why is there such a divide in terms of gaming? And maybe that's something I should tackle in my my own research. But that's that's a detail for another day. <laughs> this podcast helping you find good research. Thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> These last two questions come from the 999 website. Where there's a bunch of it's basically a spoiler and question and answer session. So if you you play nine nine nine, you want to find out some questions that probably might not be completely correct in their answers. Should go check that out. Uh, this first question: Were you influenced by Capcom's Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney series? As you pretty much get asked when you're a, another visual novel coming out. <laughs> not directly, but perhaps I was influenced some. Influenced some in the sense that Phoenix Wright allowed Japanese gamers to rediscover how fun an adventure game can be. I can see that. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, I mean, I guess, like, we don't think of them as adventure games, but they, no, they pretty but they much are. are. Yeah. It, it kind of is more in the sense of, like, the old school, like, PC adventure games that I used to play as a kid. Right. Hmm, totally fits. I put this last question in here just because of how A, the iOS version is different, and then B, what we recently discovered about the uh, uh, the 999 remake. What were your inspirations for the story? Would it have been possible to make the unique ending with a system other than the DS? <laughs> <laughs> this game has was designed specifically for the DS because of its unique interface. The DS has a top screen and a bottom screen, and I thought to myself, what can I do that utilizes this unique setup? The result I came up with was 999's twist. So no, it wouldn't have worked on any other platform. And then it works on other platforms, but uh, I don't know. I'm I'm still a little grumpy about how they handled it on the PS4, the Nonary Games version. So we should we should I guess we should give context. Yes. Of what happens at the end of 999 on the DS version. Okay, so on the DS version you are given the twist that you realize that um, one of the screens the entire time you've been playing has been childhood Akane giving the narration of what she's seeing. And the other screen is real-time Junpei and what he's going through, his actual like vocalization of narration. And um, what ends up happening is that Akane has been accessing the morphogenic field in order to solve the puzzle and save her life at the end of 999 because um and the notary games that happened nine years prior to the game she is incinerated and dies uh thanks ace and uh, so she's able to access the field and access junpei because for one um he has feelings for her and adoration of a sense and so um that continues and she's able to kind of like mesh with him very well. 
And so he is able to solve the final puzzle and save her nine years prior. But what happens is they make the twist very clear, like one screen is him, one screen is her. And the final puzzle is a Sudoku game, which I'm terrible at, but it is. Uh, And it's upside down because of the whole screen twist and the sense that like, this is the thing that Junpei is really having to do on his own. So he's able to solve it. He's able to save her. And like, that's the big twist of the game is that you've actually been seeing most of the narration through Akane as a 12 year old girl from the past, which is really, really, it had a giant impact on me because I was not expecting it. And it made me rethink the entire game in that context. Like, once I got there, I was like, wait, wait a minute. Like, this is intense. And I thought it was such a well-done twist. It was so good. It actually utilized the hardware, which, I mean, how many games do you know of that are, like, specifically thinking, how can I use this hardware to make a story twist? Like, that's super cool. Right. And, um... They kind of threw that out the window with the PS4 version. And, I mean, with the iOS version, there's no puzzles. So you can't really so do that. <laughs> you can't really do it. So um, you kind of miss out on a lot of the big twists. Um, when it comes to how the Nonary Games edition handled it, I didn't care for it as much because what it essentially does is um, it has two modes. It has adventure mode and novel mode. And um, because I'm used to getting all the narration and everything, I pretty much stayed in novel mode the entire time. Right. Adventure mode is supposed to be just from Junpei's perspective, kind of like it would have been on the DS. Novel mode is Akane. Um, And then at the very end, it actually relabels them as Junpei perspective and Akane perspective or something to that extent. And it just switches like between them rapidly, which is kind of disorienting. Because they put like uh, an effect on there too, when like they transfer between both views, and it's like, yep. and it's like, whoa, okay. Yeah, it, they they put a weird effect in it. it. It happens quite a bit at the end because, like, obviously that's where the, the twist comes up. But then they actually change the puzzle because. Um, you know, I guess they figured upside down Sudoku wouldn't really work on the PS4, Vita, PC, whatever. Uh, that it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense as to why it's upside down if it's not on the DS. Just turn your TV upside down. Right, right. <laughs> um, and so I was really thrown off because I was playing it and then I got to the final puzzle. I'm like, what the heck is this? What do I do? And then... Um, it's a stupid, stupid puzzle. It made me really mad, actually, when I solved it because... It, it it's frustrating <laughs> and um, I don't know it just kind of lost some of the the like shockingness of the twist on it it, it, it I don't want to say it cheapened it but it just it didn't feel as impactful to me do you think there was a way they could have done it to make it similar at least to how impactful it was when you were playing the DS version or was like putting this on a console or PC, is there just, like, no way they can really do that, like, recapture that magic? I don't know. I feel like that's the thing, is that because it was so designed with the DS hardware in mind, I feel like it's hard to translate that elsewhere. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So, you know, I have to commend them for trying to find a way around it. But I, I do really think that that kind of lost some of its impact. That said, I still think this is the best version of 999 you can play. Because it's got that voice acting. It does. Um, so it's all HDified, which is nice. Um, it adds in the sprites, which the iOS version did not have. And I really like the sprites. You, you showed me like a bit of it. I was like, that's some good sprite animation. <laughs> and you were like, yeah, that, <laughs> that was in the DS version. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really, really well done. And um, the voice acting, I've seen people wrongly categorize it as horrible. Uh, I don't know where in God's name they pick up that it's horrible because it is super well done. Um, like the guy who plays Junpei, and I'm blanking on his name. You looked it up the other day. Um, but he nails it. I mean, he really, really nails Junpei um, because he he can pull off the like really big sass machine. He can pull off serious moments. Um he he pulls off being terrified out of his mind several times. Like he really is the like standout star of this game. Um, but that said, everybody else really did a great job too. Um, and I don't think there was a bad voice actor in there. If I were to name somebody as the weakest, it would be the guy who played Snake slash Light. Hmm. Um, he was the weakest, but. That said, he wasn't a bad voice actor at all. Um, right. He just, um, you know, when you're first introduced to Snake at, on the stairs of the boat, um, Junpei calls him Prince because of his outfit. So I always kind of expected him to have more of like a, a regal type of voice to him. Uh, and he was just kind of like snooty-ish, which, I mean, I guess is kind of regal, but... Uh, <laughs> that regal snootiness. Yeah, it just, uh, I don't know. Um, but he he pulled off very well in terms of, like, when Snake was having conversations with Clover, or if Clover was, like, the topic of conversation, then he was able to pull off emotions super, super well, because you can really feel how much of, like, a connection those two characters have. So I like that. Um, Wendy Lee was Clover and, um, she was Clover in Virtue's Last Reward. I actually feel like she did a better job in 999 than she did in Virtue's Last Reward. Which, like, most of, like, the characters that were either in VLR or Zero Time Dilemma, they share the same voice actors, so that's, that's definitely a positive in terms of, like, keeping that cast centralized and not just being like, oh, we got some other people to do these voices for this one. Yeah. Um, the one time that I really feel like the voice acting was kind of weak is at the very end of 999, you end up having flashbacks of Junpei and Akane when they're talking about how Akane is going to have to leave and they're not going to see each other much after the month of June. And he gives her a doll, which that doll ends up becoming huge to the story, um, from that point on. Actually, even before that, because that's the reason that she went back in the first place. The doll is a huge story point, period. <laughs> uh, and what they ended up doing is just having the voice actors for Junpei and Akane um, for the regular game just kind of try and pitch their voices a bit. <laughs> yeah. So, it, yeah, it, 
they could have gotten kids for that. <laughs> I can see how that would be not not great, but yeah, I mean it's not terrible, but it's very clearly those two actors just pitching their voices. And probably just for like a production of that size, like they they probably didn't have like other people on staff that could like do kid voices probably easily and at least in the same vein of those characters. Mm -hmm. I think so. And, um, you know, it was also the same in terms of, um, again, snake slash light and Santa slash owie. Um, when you have the scenes with them on the, on the boat nine years prior and the, in the original notary games, their actors are just doing the same thing. It's just, they're pitching up their voices. Um, which kind of throws off a bit of the whole idea of like Snake didn't recognize Santa because of his voice changing because of puberty. Yeah. Because he kind of sounds the same. <laughs> Whoops. Um, I mean, he, he clearly is trying to make it higher, but they kind of sound the same. So, so that's my only complaint with the voice acting. Um, overall, like everybody just nailed it. Um, I remember texting you during the the death of the ninth man, and I said something to the effect of like the death of the ninth man voice acted. Oh my god, <laughs> um, it's it's bad. I mean, like his death is already really brutal, but like hearing him just like screaming beforehand is horrible like it really nails like how terrified this guy is and it, it was bad um so it actually in some instances makes the game a lot a lot stronger and a lot more like deaths are gonna have a lot of impact when their voice acted. Oh, oh yeah totally totally um but i i think that it is not horrible despite what the internet may tell you um but I also tend to think that most people consider anything that's not in Japanese horror <laughs> voice acting. So, um, you know, you do you, but I will forever be on the defense squad of really good English voice actors, and these guys did a really good job. So, Does it give you the option for both languages? Because I know... It does. Okay, I was going to say, I know VLR, I think Zero Time Dilemma does, does that, so that would have been a weird omission if it wasn't. <laughs> No, it gives you the option for Japanese. Um, I just always, always try to give the English voice actors a chance before I go to Japanese. Right. Um, that's just how I've always been, and I don't think I'm going to do anything different. Um, because I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Uh, English voice actors do not get nearly enough credit for what they do. It's a hard job, and they really, really do a good job. Um, you know, you can... You can rail on them all you want, I guess, but you're wrong. <laughs> I've heard bad voice acting, and this is not it. You can easily tell what bad voice acting is, and yeah, I think like you said, like from the the little bits and pieces I heard from like you what you showed me, like like I like Junpei's voice actor in Zero Time Dilemma, and I like it sounds like he's doing as good or even better of a job in this. So it's like I don't see what is really bad about that no i don't either and i'm trying to 
I'm trying to remember. There's a game that was on the PS3 that used the Shadow Hearts characters, and that is the worst voice acting I've ever heard in my life. And you can point to that and say, that is bad voice acting, and I will agree with you. Or like most games from the 90s that had early voice acting. Right, like Dynasty Warriors 3, that's bad voice acting. I legitimately, when I'm in a terrible mood, will go watch that video just to make myself feel better because it's so bad. Um, So I know bad voice acting, and this is not it. Um, It's just frustrating whenever people just crap all over really good actors because they're not speaking Japanese. Like, go screw yourself, guys. Did you know, speaking of Dynasty Warriors, there's a new Dynasty Warriors mobile game out today. Really? <laughs> yep. Let me, I know this is, this is off topic, obviously, but the first picture you get when you load it up on the on the iOS Apple, the app store is the return of Koei's Dynasty Warriors. This is not just action. It is Musu. <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh. God. Um, that's. Another thing that I really, really like, though, is uh, I like Dynasty Warriors, so, you know. Controversial opinion there. It it kind of is. Yeah. Um, I cannot remember that name of that game, but I, I'm trying to... It's so frustrating. Why can't I remember it? Anyway, um... I forgot that he was introduced as Rude Hero. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to move on. Uh, if anybody can remember the name of that game that had Shadow Hearts characters and was on the PS3 and had terrible voice acting, hit us up on the, our Twitter. Let me know because my brain is not functional right now. So, yeah, hit us up on at Anime Checkup. That's the Twitter account that I forgot Do to it. say in the, in the intro. Whoops. Whoops. Anyways. So, like, we... we like I said earlier, we have like different views of 999 because like this is your favorite out of all these. 100%. My absolute favorite. And for me, like I went to the iOS version and like the way that thing goes, it's like you can kind of speed through that thing. Yep. And not having the puzzles doesn't allow you to really take the time to really have the interactions with those characters like the rest of the games has. So for me, like I remember like the basic outlines of the 999 plot. But pretty much other than that, it's like, that's a game that happened. (laughs) That's so upsetting. Um, Yeah, that's the thing is that you get a lot of characterization and a lot of, like, smaller plot points through the puzzles. And um, I actually really, really like all the characters in in 999. I mean, Ace is a is a pretty good villain. Although I've seen um, I've seen a lot of discourse, if you will, uh, on how it was problematic that they used someone's disability as a way to make him into a villain. I'm like, I'm pretty sh- sure Ace is just like a crappy person in general. I'm not sure that like he uses his disability as uh, an excuse for why he did the things he did. But I think he was just a rich dude with a lot of extra time and a lot of extra money and, like, was kind of a jerk. Totally think that can happen. It is. Um, I mean, hey, look at our president. <laughs> Shots fired. Ha! <laughs> um, so anyway, um, you know, sometimes people with too much time on their hands and too much money can be terrible people. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with the fact that they can't see faces. 
But I have seen that, and I can understand that's a pretty that's a pretty understandable critique that you could throw at this game is that they they do kind of play up the disability as villain. Um, so I get that, but like he he's he's a good villain. Um, his characterization is really strong. Uh, the rest of the characters are phenomenal. Um, we'll talk about this more in Zero Time Dilemma, but. Uh, Akane and Junpei are like, yes, I love them. They're so good. And um, I know that I, I sent you the video of the voice acted scene where Junpei misunderstands why, <laughs> why June slash Akane is afraid of going on the elevator. And God, uh, their relationship is so funny to me. <laughs> that part is so good. It's really, really funny. Uh, although he does still have his like creepy protagonist tropes in terms of like, I also sent you the part where like you have frozen chicken and then June is like, it's hard. And he's like, say that again. He's like, say that again. Say it again. One more time. Okay, thank you. And, I'm and like, he's just like, what? And he does it to her again in Zero Time Dilemma. Um, with some other object, but I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. And then the uh, the, the nipple size one. The nipple size one is pretty. <laughs> yeah, he 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 has his moments. Uh. Um, or like his famous line of uh, "This is a shower. I know I've taken one once." <laughs> like Junpei, I love you. You're ridiculous. You are a ridiculous human being. Um. One thing that I want to mention is that Clover, again, is voice acted in this one. Uh, holy cow, the axe ending. Having right. that voice acted. Wow. Um, so what I learned is that Wendy Lee can sound really demented. <laughs> really <laughs> demented. It, it was phenomenal. Um, I'm trying to think. Because Lotus, yeah, she kind of, her voice actress did fine with her, like, sometimes angry and sometimes bossy. Like, she did fine. Uh, I really liked her. And I like Lotus as a character. Uh, Seven, his voice actor had a lot to, to work with in terms of, like, I have amnesia, so it's a lot of, like, groaning and, like, I'm upset because I can't remember things. Uh, but he uh, did a fabulous job on his retelling of, like what happened on the boat nine years ago. Cause, uh, you know, most of what you learn about that is from seven, which is kind of cool. Um, obviously you don't learn a whole lot about the ninth man. <laughs> not there long enough. He's not there long enough, but man, again, that scene voice acted was brutal. It was super brutal, but everybody really nailed it. They, they did a great job and these characters stick with you for a while. Um, if you get to know them. So I can understand why you wouldn't feel as connected to it. Yeah. But it's a bummer to me because it's my favorite. <laughs> well, should we talk about my, Your favorite? my favorite? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. The second game in the Zero Escape series, Virtue's Last Reward, was released on the 3DS and Vita on February 16, 2012 in Japan, and then October 23, 2012 in the U.S., and re-released on PS4 and PC because they didn't really do anything to 
VLR, except no. change some localization stuff. Poor Dono. And then these are the same release dates as uh, 999, March 24th, 17th. 2017 in the U.S. and April 13th, 2017 in okay. Japan. Wait a minute. Are you really going to limit the Dono on here? Are you really going to do that? Totally am. Because <laughs> do you remember when I first saw that? I was like, who would say it like that? <laughs> you did. I remember that. <laughs> but it's... Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm glad that they changed it to Dono instead of Dono. I, I feel like I'm more mad that they changed the uh, the captain's quarters thing in 999. Oh, right. We forgot to mention that. That uh, at one point, um, it, it's something effective. Like the translation said captain's cabin. And then the sign says uh, something uh, completely different. <laughs> uh, and... It like whatever I can't remember exactly. It was either Captain's Quarters or Captain's Cabin. One of them, it like one of the characters, Junpei says it says this, and the placard says completely different. And then Clover's like, "That's what it says," <laughs> and it's like, "No, that is clearly not what it says." And I posted it on my Instagram um, because that was that was a real good goof. Um, and then they changed it. They changed it so they no longer look ridiculous when they say. That's what it says because it wasn't what it said at all. Such a bummer, though. Uh, yeah. I mean, okay. So the placard said Captain's Cabin, and Junpei said the Captain's Quarters. <laughs> Clover says that's what it says. <laughs> that's what it says. It's not what it says, but good job. Uh, but yeah, they did change that. So you're more upset about that than you are Dono, Dono. Yeah. I was kind of okay. happy they changed Dono, though. Yeah, I'm happy too. I remember that I reblogged something the other day that was like, reblog if you're on team Dono instead of Dono. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. Dono <laughs> is the proper way to say this. Anyway. Well, let's get into some developmental history of VLR. Uh, this interview, also from Silicon Era. 999 had an air of tension with a time limit and bombs strapped to the players. The feeling of fear was palpable, but in Virtual's Last Reward, the game had a different feeling. Players could take their time to explore, and characters would casually talk about their backstories during puzzles. Why did you make the change? Uchikoshi. When we were developing Virtual's Last Reward, we asked people in Japan who didn't buy 999 why they didn't buy it. Most of the answers we got was because it looked scary. One of the decisions made by the higher-ups was, for the next one, make sure to tone it down. I made it more mellow and lessened the tension. That's why in the first game you explore, but in the second game there is the needle. I didn't have a choice but to tone it down. That's a... It's kind of a fascinating answer. It is. Um, I mean, it's kind of a look into the business side of, of visual novels. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I guess it makes sense. There is a whole lot less tension. I, I uh, And I guess as well, like, I didn't put this in here, but he was writing both two and three at the same time. Ah. And originally they were making both of those for the DS and PSP, but then like 3DS and Vita came out. So they're like, Oh, we got to move these up to there, but now we're going to focus on the second game. And then of course, like the financial troubles with the third game came about and it took a while for that game to come to fruition. But yeah, what a, what a strange choice of being like, Hey, why did you people not buy this game? Oh, it was too scary. I I guess we'll mellow it down. And then the third game's like, F that. 
Yeah, the third game just threw all of that out the window. Um, and I don't even really, I don't guess I understand the whole concept of 999 being scary, but um, I mean, I guess within the first hour of the game, you do have somebody explode, so. It's very spooky. Uh, yeah, yeah, I could, I could see that. There's a whole lot less, like, explodey, gross death in VLR. <laughs> There's just more Dio getting kicked around. Dio deserves it. He does. Let's see here. Where am I at? Okay. When the first game in the Zero Escape series, 999, was in development, it was designed for release in Japan, while Virtue's Last Reward was developed for a worldwide release when it was being planned. How did that change the way you developed the two games? Story-wise, it didn't affect much. I didn't change the story since I had that in mind already. For puzzles, I made sure not to use Japanese characters. I tried to avoid cultural references as well, and made more global puzzles, which ended up having numbers, since numbers are a universal language. So I guess this is kind of in reference to the fact that the door Q didn't translate as well from 999. Because um, that was a big thing that a lot of people had an issue with with 999, is that um, the final door is door lowercase Q, not mm-hmm. a 9. Right. Um, and that twist doesn't make as much sense in English. There's like that because different. It's a letter and a number. What? <laughs> right, but they're pronounced the same in Japanese. Right. So, um, like, it made sense in Japan, but it didn't make as much sense in the U.S. release. So, I, I think that's probably what he's going for in terms of this quote. But I could be entirely wrong on that. But um, I think it kind of makes sense. I mean, you have like references to. Like superheroes and things like that. So, yeah. <laughs> numbers are the universal language, after all. Yeah, God, I hate numbers. <laughs> Just do away with all of them. If you were going to give Akane life advice, what would you tell her as her creator? <laughs> <laughs> she has special abilities, and it's something I would never be able to understand because I don't have those abilities. So, I would say to her, do what you think is right, and then follow she up. Does. Do you think what do you think what Akane is doing is right? That's a hard thing to answer. The way I wrote the story was for players to come up with their own conclusions, so I don't want to put my own opinion on that. I want players to decide whether she is good or bad. And then next up we have a the interview from US Gamer, which first question, you mentioned earlier that visual novels aren't really that popular in Japan, but they have a core user base. It seems like I see a lot of visual novels published over here. Import release lists always have a lot of them. Can you talk more about their place in the industry here and what kind of role they have in Japanese gaming? That's a tough question. If you look at the subculture scene, it does seem like the weight of visual novels is pretty heavy. Some visual novels get turned into anime as well. And if you search on the internet, you see a lot of coverage of visual novels. So they do have a heavy weight in that subculture scene. A lot more, a lot of core gamers are really into them, but people who buy Animal Crossing or get into Tomodachi Collection, among those kinds of people, the mainstream is not a popular, it's not a popular genre. And then follow-up, why do you think that that kind of subculture has managed to thrive in Japan, whereas it sort of vanished in the 80s in America? Once text adventures became graphical adventures, Western developers stopped making games built around text. And here's what we were talking about earlier. One thing that might be a big factor is that the Japanese like to read. We don't feel like reading is a pain. Maybe that's one factor. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, it's interesting cultural difference. Um, Because I've noticed... Uh, you're aware of this. Many of our listeners may not be aware. I don't know. Um, I've had 
some forays into teaching and it is impossible to get people to read when they're supposed to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what that disconnect is in terms of like, why would other cultures be so interested in reading and ours wouldn't? Uh, and I don't know how to answer that, but I can definitely say that it can be so impossible to even get like 18 year old kids to read a single page of text <laughs> one page uh so getting them to read like a visual novel i can understand why it would be a little bit difficult but that's i think one thing that i've noticed though is that people who do like to read tend to gravitate more to this genre right um so i don't know it's it's kind of strange and it's i don't know if there's something in terms of like the educational system that makes reading like thrive in Japan that we are lacking, but our educational system is also kind of crap. So I I think as well that it it is like, it's more of a bigger form of media over there. Cause like, look at like, there's so many like different subsets of like, like if something has like an anime or a game, like there'll be like, like, Oh, this will get a manga adaptation. And that, you know, manga is like a big form of media over there. Uh, mm-hmm. light novels are also like a big thing where like sometimes that's like a source material for material for a game or a manga or an anime and those are still thriving in Japan compared to like over here it's like I mean books are still popular but if you compare that to how high schoolers or junior high kids look at it like there's like oh want to read reading's dumb which like you said I think like that's more of a testament to how our educational system is kind of hot garbage in yeah. a variety of ways like like I'm an English major so I have to read a lot <laughs> and if I and sh- if I'm I sh- a historian I read a lot yeah if I show up to class and haven't done the reading like I'm basically not showing up there and right. like my professors will call me out on that bullshit so like it's you have to kind of get that ingrained into you that like oh I need to be on top of this and commit time to it which for I don't know, other majors that might not be the case or just like the mindset of other people that just might not be the case. Yeah, it's strange because, you know, I I used to teach an intro history course and you would have people that are from like math fields, science fields. And they're like, I don't want to have to read this book that's 100 pages. And I'm like, too bad. You're going to be tested on it. So you either read it and you do fine or you don't read it and you fail. Like, it's not an optional thing. And I don't understand like that disconnect of like when did reading become like not fun? Right. But um I guess at the same time that's completely unrelated to video games. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our educational podcast. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just really frustrating to me because um you know, I'm somebody who like I literally need another bookshelf because I have books piled on the floor at this point. Uh, I read all the time for whatever reason. Um, I read fanfic because I think it's fun. Like, (laughs) um, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's frustrating to me. Um, but it also makes me gravitate to this style of game and like very story heavy games. 
I just like the idea of like you saying freshmen are scoffing at the idea of reading a hundred pages. And it's like dog, I've re- had to read like a hundred pages in two days. Like that's nothing. <laughs> right. Well, that's that's how it was for me. Is that like when I was doing classes, I'd have to read like at least two or three like three hundred plus page books every single week and mm-hmm. like do responses on them. And it's like <laughs> <laughs> you can't read a page, bro. Come on. It's frustrating. So frustrating. Um, but also, you know, I, I I grew up playing a lot of the, like, adventure games. And they did have, like, text-based. I don't know. I, I just remember, like, Monkey Island being a big, big thing for me as a kid. And while it wasn't, like, hugely text-heavy, like, it was still pretty text heavy and then i grew up with like final fantasy games when they were good <laughs> um dunk on no more moment of the week <laughs> uh i don't know i don't know where that is but anyway let's talk about some vlr instead of lamenting the fact that children don't read anymore vlr vlr so it like- sounds like puking <laughs> <laughs> the puke moment of the week so, like, you got me into playing these games, but I owned VLR way before knowing you. Because <laughs> when I got my Vita, obviously, I got that to play Persona 4 Golden. But, like, I looked at it, I was like, okay, so what are other good games for this system? And one of them that kept popping up was Virtue's Last Reward. So I was like, okay, I should... This seems, like, pretty cool. I'll, I'll get this. Obviously, didn't get that far into it just because it's a puzzle game, and you you know my penchant for puzzles. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic, Adam, excuse me. And like, it, it was it was definitely one of those games, though, that I wanted to play and get through. So, like, there was a point in time where I was, like, I had a walkthrough up, and I was going to do the puzzles that way, and then just got sidetracked, and it, that kind of fell at the, white, the wayside. But then, finally getting to play through this game, I was like, okay, I understand now why this game is real good, and, like, why people would have recommended it so much as like a game you should get for the system because yo this game's real good (laughs) it's great it really is and like we were saying with like how my experience in 999 was a little different and how i didn't have those puzzles like having that lengthy experience with vlr compared to 999 like i definitely got a lot more out of those characters than i did with the characters out of 999 because i had spent so much more time playing vlr than i did 999 so, um, I mean, you get to know the characters through puzzles in a lot of senses. Uh, so I think one of my favorite parts of this game is a lot of the interactions during the puzzles with Phi and Sigma. Mm-hmm. Easily the best two characters. Well, yeah, but um, like they're just sassy towards each other. And I think it's really funny. So you get a really cool dynamic between the two um, through like just trying to figure out the puzzle because you'll select an item and get like dialogue on it and sometimes like she'll straight up call you an idiot or something <laughs> <laughs> it's good uh real friendly girl uh i like fi i i like fi quite a bit i feel like if i were ever in like a 999 game i'd be like fi just sassy to everyone and then kick just people. sassy to everybody i mean if i could drop kick people i would do it <laughs> gotta get on something high and just jump at him also make sure that you have less gravity 
before you do so. True. Um, but you also get backstory on like in the end of 999, you meet Alice and there's like this whole thing about like, is she the Egyptian all ice type thing? But it's like, no, you actually meet Alice who has her weird like boob necklace thing. <laughs> I still haven't figured out how that thing stays on. It's like glued on there or something. You have a Tin Miyoji who ends up being a giant, giant twist. Yeah, which I don't think I saw coming. Um, I didn't the first time that I played it. Uh, and, you know, as somebody who did play 999 first, there was, like, I didn't pick up any hints. Because they never... Uh, I mean, obviously, spoilers, it's Junpei. It's Junpei. They never tell you his last name in the first game, do they? Nope, they never do. So that's because obviously he goes by Ten Miyoji now because that's his last name, and there's therein lies the twist. Which man, <laughs> that first time when like you find out he has that picture of Akane, you're, I was just yep. like, what the? F- why does he have that? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's shocking when he pull, first pulls out that picture and um, like there's a question why he has it, and then. Um, like the one of the passcodes is jumpy doll. I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> uh, it it was a good twist, and especially because you find out like he's dedicated his entire life to looking for Akane, and he also adopted Quark. The, <laughs> Just adopted the a kid chi- on the side. <laughs> <laughs> the child with the snacks on his head. <laughs> the, the the like the missile launchers on his head. Yeah, but. It, it turns out that he just keeps snacks in there. I mean, that's a great idea. Let's be real. It It is, but I'm just saying that, like, somebody asked, uh, I cannot say his name. You say it for me. Uchikoshi. There you go. Uh, <laughs> they, they asked him, like, what does Quark keep on his on his hat? And he, he informed that it was snacks. It's like the food version of the hard hat with the two, like, beer cozies and the straw coming down. <laughs> it is... But, um, you know, they hit you with some really intense feelings with Quark and Tenryoji because you realize how much that he cares about him. Like with the root beer ending, mm-hmm. where he like buys uh, Quark a root beer that's like extremely hard to find. And like he ends up getting sick, like trying to find him in the rain and everything. He's like, oh, but it also like really fits Junpei's character. Yeah. Like he he is very determined and very caring and very uh i guess resilient but he just never stops trying to find people that he cares about he's loyal to a fault he is um and a lot of that comes to a head like you know there's some confusion when he talks to clover because like clover's like who the heck are you and then he uses some kind of like 909 gibberish on her and she's like oh you're junpei i understand now which obviously she's not gonna know because she looks pretty much like just ripped right out of 999 and he's like in his 70s yeah i think she's like a year older maybe yeah um but they froze her in time which (laughs) this story the story of vlr kind of goes like just everywhere where it's like twists on top of twists on top of twists and just like it goes to the moon. Yeah, literally. <laughs> it goes to the moon and to the future. Yep. It, it, it just goes like, like 99 has like, 
you would say it's like a pretty s- simple story, kind of straightforward, with like the few twists. I mean, in there. yeah, there's some twists, and I mean, it's it's kind of strange that like there's the whole like Titanic replica type scenario, but um, not as weird as <laughs> the future and the moon. It's like if you take nine and nine, and then you just make it completely bonkers. That's virtue's right. last reward. Oh, also add in religious cults yeah. and cloning. <laughs> yeah. Because that's also there. Um, and shifting your consciousness from the future to the past so you can take over your body. Yeah, and giant <laughs> robot men that are not actually robot men. That ride little amusement park rides. Oh my god, that's the creepiest part of the entire game. <laughs> and a talking rabbit because you got to have a mascot character. Right, right. So Zero the Third is a little animatronic rabbit. God, VLR is weird. <laughs> he says that he tried to make it not Japanese, but it's it's it's. I mean, I wouldn't. I'm not sure if it's necessarily Japanese, but it's weird. Okay, but how many games do you know of that are like Western that have like weird stuff like that? Let's be honest. I was about like to most, say, I was about to say Metal Gear. Like, no, that's Japanese. Um, right, like most of the time that you have a game that just goes like completely off the rails like that, it's Japanese and yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it, I love it. I think it's great. But most of the time, it's Japanese. Which we haven't even got to the like the main core part where it's like, oh yeah, your main character is also an old dude who basically orchestrated all of this with the help of Akane. Yeah, whoops, he's zero, and he has robotic arms, and he's old, and him and Akane are bros, and raised Kyle, who is sometimes your robotic friend, and sometimes your robotic friend is actually Akane. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Uh, oh, and also, <laughs> there's a lady here who looks like Sigma's former love interest, who is also a robot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Luna. Luna is one of the best characters in VLR, period. Mm-hmm. I love Luna, but uh, when you find out that she's like a robot of his former lover, and then like she's just disintegrating in his lap, you're like, oh, so sad. No. Man. But again, it's kind of the same thing as 999 in that like all these characters are really, really well done. Even the villain characters mm-hmm. are good characters. Um, Although I've yet to figure out exactly why Dio is dressed like he's a circus ringleader. <laughs> my hope I know that he, my hope, your is, hope is what? my hope is that it's just like a a a very slight nod to to Dio from JoJo. God. <laughs> By just dressing him up real wacky like. Well, I mean he says at one point like he he's a ringleader of a circus, but like clearly that's not true. <laughs> no. So I, I wonder what the actual reason is, but um, also his voice actor is one of my faves. So it it's kind of hard because I hate Dio, but like I love the voice actor. I'm like you do such a good job, but I hate you. Yeah, that, I hate you so much. VLR has some like top notch voice acting. Like Troy Baker's in it before he got real big and stopped doing anime games. Yep. <laughs> and then like obviously Liam O'Brien does Dio. Like there's, there's some good stuff in this video game. Yeah, Wendy Lee's Clover. Mm-hmm. 
Um, which I guess people wouldn't know Wendy Lee as much as they would know Liam O'Brien and uh, Troy Baker, but that's beside the point. Right. And one thing that I like about these games is that there's always the question of like, is what they're doing morally right? Because, you know, in the first game, there's the whole question of, you know, they kidnap these people, they set them up in this really life or death situation in order to save Akane. Mm-hmm. who was a 12-year-old girl who burned to death because of a crappy situation. Um, is it morally okay? Uh, and then VLR takes it even further in terms of, like, morality and, like, is is what they did a good situation? Because, again, people are, like, dying and having to shift consciousness and time travel and all that nonsense, like, trying to save the world. Yeah, so like they're they're basically trying to stop the release of Radical Six. Yep. Okay. Um, they're trying to stop the religious cult and stop the the release of Radical Six, which basically form the apocalypse on Earth. Which eventually you go back, or you go back to that to the past, where like Akane's like group hangs out and it's like normal kind of. 20s Akane and like everything's just like real bad real rotten yep. that's like the end of the game isn't it because that's like yep. that that sets up for ZTD where it's like you find um because Akane has Sigma and Phi then and Sigma's like got his robot arms he's like ah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it it basically sets you up to put the the versions of Phi and um, Sigma who know about the the future into their younger bodies and then put them into the Nevada test site to contain Radical Six. The story's bonkers. A <laughs> little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, but man, the twist of like the old lady who is dead and then like when you shift and she's not dead and it's Akane, I was like, what? Yeah. Uh, but again, it also ties back to the whole like jumpy doll thing. I was like, oh man, I'm so excited. There was just like a lot of real good twists in this game. Oh yeah, totally. When like, they're, they probably should not have been able to pull off so many good twists like they were able to. I mean, really, they shouldn't. Because uh, you have like, old woman is Akane. Kay is Akane. Kyle is your clone. Oh, by the way, you're actually old. Like, um, all of this could oh, by become... by the way, you're also zero. <laughs> all of this could become so convoluted. And especially trying to tie it back into the first game and tying it into another game in the future. Like, I'm just astonished that they pulled it off and pulled it off so well. Yeah, it was great. Um, I really, really like BLR. And you... So one thing that's, I guess, somewhat unfortunate, though, is that you do get some backstory on, like, some of the 999 characters. Um, Like, you find out that Snake slash Light has become, like, um, a musician. He's a harpist. Uh, And you know that um, Aoi, who is Santa, has been running Crash Keys, which is Akane's, like... Her group. Group. Yeah. So you get some, and then, like, we were promised to get more details, and then we never did. Yeah, they're on the 
on the virtuous last reward site, the Q and A they do on there, like a lot of the answers, are like, uh, what happens to X character from Nine and Nine? It's like, oh, that'll be addressed in the third game. Spoilers, it's not. It's not at all. But you do get some info, like, like I said, Light was also um like an agent along with Clover, and they were using their abilities to like access the morphogenetic field between each other mm-hmm. uh, during their their time but um you know you also get the confusion of well it's actually a lot of years in the future so what what happened but you know a lot of that's going to be erased anyway by zero time dilemma so yeah (laughs) that is that's also very true (laughs) uh one of the things that i found in the vlr q a spoiler q a that i found real funny was like there was a question on there, and we talked about this. Like, it was like, is Sigma and Phi going to get into a romantic relationship? And Uchikoshi was like, no, they're not. <laughs> Which makes sense in Zero Time Dilemma, but like, I guess at the time it wouldn't have. But yeah, I just love how he's like, no, ain't happening. He's just adamant that it's not happening. Which I'm glad that he was uh, instead of like trying to like bait people into thinking that it might happen if they play the third game. Which he kind of does for everything else, but, like, that's the one. He's like, he's like, no. Nope. Not even having this conversation. Thank God. <laughs> and even then, like, I don't I don't understand why people ship them. Um, but I, I don't understand why people ship a lot of things. So, uh, you know, whatevs. But I, I feel like they're they're good bros. and They they, are. Uh, they have such a good retort with each other. They do. Which, which, um, which makes sense. It does. <laughs> um, but their dialogue between the two of them is some of the best in the game, period. You want the snarka machines, you go to Sigma and Phi. That's one thing that is consistent throughout this game that I really love is how much snark and sass is like in the main characters. <laughs> Man, oh, God, they're sass machines. How would Sigma Phi and Junpei hang out without just like it would just it would just them being complete just smart to each other it would be like nothing would ever be like serious it would all just be snark and sass (laughs) oh man good times good times so i guess that leads us to zero time dilemma all right no time no time no dilemmas so this was released on the 3ds vita on june 28th 2016 in the u.s and somehow later in japan we got it first i I'm still kind of confused by that. Uh, it came out June 30th, 2016 in Japan, and then worldwide on PC on June 29th, 2016. So three days of Zero Time Dilemma. There you nice. go. <laughs> All right. Developmental stuff, which... Unfortunately, I didn't find like a lot of stuff on there, just because I think like not enough time's passed for like, probably to have some like spoilery talks about it, but... yeah. Uh, this first question I literally put in here just for you. Yay! What do you think post-marriage life is like for Akane and Junpei? Which, spoilers, that's one of the endings. They get, they get married. They get engaged, yeah. Ujikoshi says, I, they may they might argue over things, but I think they'll have a happy post-marriage life. I'm so happy about this because I know a lot of people were worried. And I, I wasn't because I know like how dedicated they are to each other. Uh, 
And also, I want to say that it's hilarious that Junpei puts the ring on the wrong finger at first because he can't remember which hand it goes on. That, that's actually something in that VLR spoiler Q&A. It's in VLR, yeah. Because like, someone asks him about that, and he's like, like, why does Akane have a wedding ring on in that, in, that, uh, in that scene? He's like, oh, it's on the wrong finger. It's not a wedding ring. Yeah. It just leaves it at that. And it's like, oh, ties it back in <laughs> later on, but okay. Well, and during uh, Zero Time Dilemma, she says at one point like that she has to go do her thing, and that if if everybody survives, they can move it to the right finger. And then, like after shifting and everything, they they figure it all out. But because initially, in that when he gives her the ring, that leads you to the ending that leads to the VLR. VLR. Yep. Um, so there, there's a mention that like if everything goes okay, that they'll move the ring to the right finger. But so clearly VLR is the ending where it, everything does not go okay. But you can get an ending where it does, and they do get married. And I'm so happy because I love them together. They're so great. <laughs> They're so good. <laughs> the Delta twist was cool. How did you plan the story to foreshadow this twist? You had to find some complex motives, obviously. Dang it. <laughs> the main twist was already planned beforehand once we decided to go with the third-person cinematic style of gameplay, since the theme of the trick in the Zeroscape series is the perspective. Which is cool that, like, he consistently is thinking of, like, what hardware he's working with and how he can utilize that hardware to make a twist. Uh and he's thinking of like gameplay as a twist, and I, I like that a lot uh, because <clears throat> this is another one that I didn't see coming when it happened. Right? Yeah, totally. Um, because spoiler alert, uh, Delta is is Q of Q team, and also which, Sigma and Diana's kid. Right, and also Phi's brother. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and he is also the mastermind of Zero Time Dilemma. He's got those complex motives, man. Complex motives. Um, I also watched that video when I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> uh, but he is he is zero two. Um, he is he is all those things that we just mentioned. And throughout the Q team perspective, you think that you are looking at it from this robotic kid named Sean. But you're actually looking at everything from Delta's viewpoint. Which, man. It's fascinating. When you go back and look at everything from Q-Team's perspective, you're like, oh, I get it now. Once again, a twist that totally shouldn't work, but does. Right, right. It shouldn't at all. And it, it worked really, really well. Um, so the the Delta twist was a cool twist. Especially because like, you go into this game and you think, like, okay, these last two have been visual novels where it's like, you know, you get the portrait of the person talking and then the text box. And yeah. then this just completely abandons that. And it's like every cutscene is like an actual cinematic cutscene, which that would be way more work, obviously, than making a visual novel because you have to actually direct where the camera's going to be, how these models are going to move, and all that. Mm -hmm. But man, it makes that twist work so well. It, it really does. And I think just in general, like, a lot of, like, making a game just around cutscenes, it worked way better than it should have. That should be the Zero Escape motto. motto. <laughs> it worked better than it should have. 
I completely agree. And I think that a lot of people were concerned um, at the shift and style, but I feel like they, they did it extremely well. Um, I know that personally, like, the ending, like the full ending could have been done a little bit better, but right. overall the game itself and all the twists and all the storytelling perspectives were phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I was very impressed. So, um, yeah, I think that really should be the motto. This is like, this shouldn't work. Why is it working? Holy cow, this is amazing. And three game, three games in and it's all like, it's all still working. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Next question. Also, one thing I noticed in ZTD is if Q team is killed off, there are more there are more situations where chance affects story branches. Was this part of Delta scheming to force other characters to shift and affect the timeline? The answer for this question is yes and no. Since Delta was a mind hacker, mind hack, and not a shifter, he was able to know the histories and alternative timelines by looking through the mind of shifters. So the tree diagram of the timelines in ZTD already existed, and he simply followed the diagram. That leads to the questions of who then created the diagram, which is a complicated subject and also a paradox. <laughs> so what he just said is, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah complex motives. Mind hack. God. Uh, we all know the real character of this game, like the best character is the dog. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Dog for best dog. Uh, Final question. What is best dog? It's dog. (laughs) What would your first choice be for the final decision? Would you shift or not? Which is the the very final decision in the end of the game. I think I would. However, this would mean there is a possibility that my life can suddenly be taken over by myself in a different timeline. If I thought about making the shift, this would mean that my alternate timeline self would also decide to shift as well. Imagine a different timeline where humankind is facing extinction and, ma- and a machine that allowed people to shift was created. This could mean that they could t- they might take over the bodies in this timeline. Taking that into consideration, shifting can potentially be something really terrifying. I don't even think it's potentially. Like, they address it through the game that, like, they're going to shift into these bodies and the ones that are there are essentially doomed to die. Yeah, which um, there are quite a few moments where, like, that literally happens. Yeah, it's messed up. So, um, for context, the the final decision of the game is that you're given the characters where they have to shift into their other bodies, and you're going to doom those versions of yourself to death in order to basically like save everybody and save the world. Um, so you have this really complicated situation where you're thinking of like, do we sacrifice? our own selves essentially in order to make this work and they choose to do so. So, um, I mean, you're kind of inadvertently killing yourself in a different timeline. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm thinking specifically of like the, um, is it the moment when Carlos and Junpei are shielding Akane from like the, the turrets? Yeah. Ooh, that one's brutal. And like, that's a moment where they also shift. Like they're like we're gonna shield her, but then we're gonna shift as well. Yeah, it's it's brutal. Um, and you know it's it's kind of questionable as if it's going to work at all. Um, but I mean, you you really are 
dooming yourself. You're saying this body is going to be riddled with bullet holes to save Akane, um, but we're going to jump somewhere else. And so like this version of me is dead, period. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, it's again, it's bringing up the whole concept of like morality and like who gets to decide this kind of thing. And it's, it's real messed up. Yeah. Um, and it is a whole lot of consistent ideas of like who gets to decide the fate of the world. Um, because this is bigger than just the nine people who are in the room. One of the, one of the weird things about, or I guess kind of the cool things about this game is that it splits up, it splits up the game into three different teams. Yes. And that led to us having like our own separate, like, Oh, we're going to follow this team specifically because we like these people. So yep. you were a C team. You were a big fan of C team, who is Junpei Akane and new character Carlos. Yep. Well, I, I like Carlos. He was a good dude. He, he was a good dude. He screws up a few times, but he has good intentions. He does, but he does have good intentions. Like I'm coming in all like firefighter bro. Like yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna save you guys. <laughs> I love him. He's good. He's good people. I was more in the line of D team. Which was Sigmify and new character Diana. Well, new in quotations. Yeah, Diana, obviously the the model for Luna. Yep. But this time she's actually alive and everything. She's actually she's actually alive at a person. Yeah. And God, the the really dumb and complicated way Sigma and Diana have kids. It's <laughs> so goofy. You mean in the pod? Yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, we're going to send our kid back like 100 years or something. Both of the kids. Yeah, okay. That They do send their children back in time. Because like, uh, when, they, when they have that and they do go through like that portion of the timeline or whatever, like I think they're the only two ones left alive at that point. They are. Yeah. Them, them and I think the dog, but they, they may have ended up. I don't want to know what happened to the dog in that timeline. Poor Gab. Gab was great, but um, I don't want to know what happened to Gab in that timeline because it's probably not good. Um, but it also explains the age difference in um, Phi and Delta. Yeah. But yeah, they're, they're sent back in time to a time when it's supposed to be nice and pleasant and um, nobody's... Nobody's going to die, and Sigma and Diana basically starve to death. People die in real bad ways in this game. They really do. Like, um, <laughs> there's the acid rain one, which... Yeah. Oh, buddy! Ooh, that one's rough. And then, like, whenever you see, like, the results of the acid rain, like, you just see, like, piles of goo of yeah. human bodies. You're like, oh. Um, and then there's the chainsaw. That's a pretty God. brutal God. Which that entire time through the puzzle, they're like, oh, look, it's a model b- body part. I'm like, I don't think that's a model. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a good. Uh, <laughs> which, yeah, we should we should definitely say that like Zero Time Dilemma is the goriest, I think, out of any of these games. Oh, 100%. It's the goriest. Um, so that whole like people didn't buy 999 because it was scary. Like Zero Time Dilemma is like. If you guys were going to make this super gory and brutal, and they did. I want to say this game got, like, the worst rating you can get in the Japanese in Japanese games. Wow. I might be wrong. I mean, wrong. you do literally have a character who's a serial killer who steals people's hearts. 
and they show that at one point? They do. So I think maybe that's fitting. Um, no, I think, I'm, no, I'm I think they got D. The- I think they were originally trying to get the Z rating, which is like the 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 worst rating you can get for in terms of like violence and all that sort of stuff. But D is still pretty much like I think their mature rating in Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I got mature here, which they all did, but this one most oh. deservedly so. Right, right. I'm trying to think like there's a shotgun, there's the chainsaw, there's the acid rain. Um there's being murdered by a serial killer. <laughs> uh, isn't isn't there one where um what's his name? Eric goes all crazy? He has a shotgun. Is is there one where he like shoot he shoots everyone with a shotgun? Yeah. Okay. Um, which I guess we should talk about Eric for a second. He's kind of like your generic regular guy. Um, turns out he's real messed up too. Yeah. Um, he just is your like, I'm just a guy in a polo and I work at an ice cream shop and I'm in love with this girl. And um, then it turns out that like he has some real messed up family problems. Like I think one of his, is it his dad who kills his brother? And then he's supposed to like put his brother's body in the water. And so he has an issue with like cold. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he ends up, you know, dating a literal serial killer, so... Whoops. And she takes his heart out at one point. Good job, buddy. Yeah, whoops, mubby. Um, but he kind of becomes unhinged multiple times throughout the, the different timelines. Like, he probably comes unhinged more than anybody. I like how Wikipedia classifies him as an ice cream shop clerk who cracks under pressure easy. Um, that's an understatement. <laughs> Although, like, Akane loses it at one point, too. Well, that's during like, the... Bad. That's during, like, the chainsaw one. Yeah. Where but she I'm just saying, goes, like, she, she straight yeah. up... Whoa. Don't let her cover herself in blood. No. Um, but again, like, she really cared about Junpei. Yeah. Um, and I guess it should be mentioned that every once in a while there's some really awkward bits of voice acting in this one um it's not perfect but it's also not horrible and there's and there's like weird like kind of technical issues with like some of the cutscenes. like hair sometimes will just freak out for no reason freak out yeah and the hair is just like like oh okay oh whoa buddy um i also really like all the character designs in this yeah. one, it was, um, it was the Zero Skate Volume Three. Everyone got real hot. Everybody got real hot. It's unfair how everybody got super hot. <laughs> um, one thing that I want to talk about though is because he is my my favorite. Um, he's a beautiful human being, even though he's fictional. Um, I love Junpei's like arc throughout the games, like. You can see through Zero Time Dilemma how 999 Junpei became VLR Junpei through ZTD Junpei. Because <laughs> um, he, he's become, he's not a cop, but he's like some kind of investigator. Yeah, he, right? he joins a like, um, let's see what Wikipedia says. He just joins a detective agency to find out, to find her after she has not been heard from. So it's basically yeah. the continuation of what he was doing in Virtue's Last Reward. Yeah, so he's um, so he's seen a lot of lot of stuff, and so um, while he's still 
quite sassy. Uh, it's like a Zero hardened Time sassy. Dilemma. It's it's a hardened sassy, and he's a lot less likely to like crack jokes and try and make things lighthearted and everything because he he's he's frustrated and he's been through some stuff, and so he he becomes kind of a I don't want to say like a grim dark character because he's not at all. Mm-hmm. But you can see how his edges have hardened quite a bit from 999 after what he's been through. Because there's, there's um, points where, like, you almost think, like, man, this guy's kind of an asshole. Right, right. You do get that. Um, and I know that you've seen, I post on Tumblr a few times, that, um, like, how Junpei has resting snark face. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm trying to think of how to word this, and I'm not coming up with a good, good descriptor in my brain. Um, you can very much tell that he's the same character, but you can see that what he went through changed him. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's good in the sense that they were able to keep some kind of continuity and like make sure that you knew that it was the same guy. Um, but show that like not everything is sunshine and rainbows because he was literally just put into a game where like people were supposed to kill each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, not necessarily. They were all supposed to survive except for, you know, the ones that weren't. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's brutal. And he's, he does still have his, like, fun moments. Like, the, the time where he, like, happily marches off after they get the right number in the in the casino. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to go drink. Later. Uh, I love that scene. That's one of my favorite ones of Junpei is like how happy he is about just like he literally marches off. Uh, he's he's good. And uh, also you can't get through a podcast talking about Zero Time Dilemma without mentioning the fact that uh, there is a, a pretty significant portion of the game where Akane is talking about Back to the Future. Yeah. Which is great, because I love Back to the Future. <laughs> Which, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but they don't refer to it by name? They cannot refer to it by name, so it's not referred to by name. It's it's all vague references. <laughs> it's, not, uh, it's not like and, terrible Danganronpa Zero where there's like, talking about Home Alone and Kulk and Coon. Kulk and Coon? No, no Kulk and Coon, but um, they... <laughs> They talk about Back to the Future, which is great because people have been joking since 999 came out that um, Junpei is kind of dressed like Back to the Future. Which I think... He's got the puff jacket. I think in one of the interviews, uh, Uchikoshi basically said, like, he tries to make... He tried to make an American joke in VLR and was going to do the same in Zero Time Dilemma. So I wonder if that was it. Ah. Hmm. It would make sense. It would. But, um... So I guess the the one thing that I feel like is weak in Zero Time Dilemma is that you get a really good twist, you get like a lot of build up, and then like the very end of it is just kind of dropped. Yeah, like they basically kind of had to fill in all the, like the the various plot holes that had kind of developed, and I think they do a good job of that. But <laughs> necessarily wrapping it up, it's kind of not as satisfying as you would hope right because it, it essentially ends with like what do you do with delta at this point and then it ends so like you don't actually get the choice um and then you get like post-game like novel bits yeah but uh, 
they weren't really they weren't really good for me and one of them would even undo a lot of the events of the entirety of the series which is kind of frustrating that they would try and come up with that as like one of the like endings the one for Q team mm-hmm. cuz we're like well we're going to try and reform her from being a serial killer and maybe we can try and figure out a way that she can go back and not start this and it's like no her starting it is what made everything happen literally and then he's like, oh, we're going to break her out of jail. <laughs> yeah, that's a terrible idea. So don't do that. Um, but the rest of them were like getting ready for the wedding. and um, <laughs> Fi adopting herself. Yeah, Fi. Ad- <laughs> <laughs> Which is real dumb. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I just want these characters to be happy. That's really all I want. Uh, which which you, I guess. You get yours, at least. Yeah, um, I get I get my marriage. I'm kind of bummed that like Sigma and Phi and um, Diana don't get more closure. Yeah, because they really don't get as much closure. Real big bummer about that. <laughs> uh, so that would have been great because you do have, you know, uh, quite a bit of development towards them, and it, it's it's kind of a bummer that like. You see how it all happens, but you don't see, like, if they get some kind of, like, happy ending or, like, you know, what kind of situation they end up with, realizing, like, oh, we have an adult daughter who's, like, maybe two years younger than us. <laughs> like, what do you do with that? Um, Just hang out. Yeah, I mean, like, time to be bros. How do you explain to people, like, yeah, this is my kid. Like, It's our cousin. What? Right, like, eh. So, I, I I feel like I got a good ending, and you didn't really get as good of a get an ending. So that was kind of a bummer. Can, and can we just headcanon that C team and D team all just hang out at Junpei and Akane's wedding? That's the extended yes. version of that ending. <laughs> yes. Um, and I feel like Phi would just give Carlos shit constantly, and I think that would be great. <laughs> And also, I hope Carlos's sister is okay. And I don't remember if there was any kind of closure on that, but it's been, like, almost a year since I played it, so. Him and his weird sister complex. Yeah, well, I mean, we also played Persona 4, so. (laughs) It's true. Games with sister complexes are pretty normal for us. I know we did kind of talk about this briefly. You said there was kind of some weird stuff with the voice acting, but the voice acting in this game is pretty good. And yeah, also, for the most part, it's really good. Also, it has a real good cast. Like they get Matt Mercer to replace Trey Baker, Trey Baker, which obviously that's what you do. Right, that's what you do. <laughs> that's what you do. Uh, uh, he nailed it. Uh, Keith Silverstein's Eric. Nice. Which yeah, uh, I didn't realize that. That's amazing. I, I didn't realize it either. And then I was like, remember, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Uh, Karen Strassman yeah, re- reprises sense. Phi, which obviously is real good. Uh, yeah, the Junpei and Akane voices are real good. Diana, pretty much everyone in this game is real good. <laughs> right, right. They did a great job. Like I said, there are a couple lines that are awkward, but for the most part, they did a really, really good job, mm-hmm. and I was quite impressed with it, um, especially because, um, you know, it, it was, like, way more voice acted than anything had been previously in terms of a Zero Escape game. Right. Uh, which you had to with the way that they were presenting the game. It was good. It was very, very good. Uh, I like the I like the voice acting for the most part. And still, uh, still a miracle that game came out. 
Yeah, it is. And um, I'm, I'm sad that it had so many issues coming out. But, you know, what can you do? We got it, at least. Uh, I love Matt Mercer. <laughs> what a good dude. He is a good dude. But one thing that should be mentioned is that you end up still getting a lot of really goofy Sigma moments, which is happy, like him putting a bucket on his head. And talking about cats. And talking about cats. Like, they they keep a lot of the weird character quirks intact, and I like that a lot. And Fi um, call him an old man at times, which, if you hadn't played VLR, would be real weird. But, like, it would be for really everyone weird. else, it's like, eh, eh, eh. Ah. Also, well, and it's even funnier because, like, people sometimes call their dad old man, yeah. and she doesn't realize that, <laughs> yeah. like, that's what she's doing. Also, apparently, Zero Time Dilemma is an anagram for me. I'm zero, I'm Delta. Yep. I saw that when it first came out. Which, good job on that. <laughs> uh, which was, there was some question on if he actually intended that. Uh, he says that he did not intend it, that it just came out later, but I don't know. He seems to do a lot of things very intentionally, so I'm not yeah. 100% buying that he wouldn't have known. With like all the specifics he's gone to and like his answers and... Well, the fact that anagrams have played a big part. Yeah. <laughs> You're, that, yeah, that, I'm, I'm going to go with that's intentional. Yeah, I mean, he can say that it's not all he wants, but I'm not buying it. <laughs> Can't fool us. No. Um, but, I mean, it's a great series. It's a super good series. Uh, it, it does get a little, like, gory and bloody at times, but... Um, don't play it when you're already prone to puking like I am right this minute. <laughs> yeah, let's not, let's not just boot up all the gory scenes in Zero Time Dilemma. That would be a bad idea. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> but, yeah. A good series. Uh, once again, I'm glad you kind of got me into playing. <laughs> I'm glad that you played it. It's great that I have somebody that I can talk to about, about this series because... There weren't. There aren't a whole lot of people that I know of that have played it. I'm I'm real curious to see like what Uchikoshi does next, because like there was the talk like I think he's always kind of hinted at like I want to do something with Danganronpa, like mm -hmm. the like a collab of that sort of nature. But like I because Zeroscape is he's pretty much said like these are the three games that's going to be in this. It's a trilogy. After that, it's done. It's done. So right. like I just wonder like what what's next for him. I I. I would really like to see what's next because I probably will buy it. Yeah. Um, because he, he does a great job of storytelling. He does a great job of bringing in like scientific I ideas that are actually believable and how they would function in this world. And I mean, it, it's, it's super, super good in terms of how it's written. And that's usually what I look for in a game is like, what is the story? Is it well written? And, he nails it every time. And especially just like with how meticulous he's planned out everything and made sure it all worked. Like you pretty much know like whatever's next is going to be is is going to be real good in terms of like the story development and all that. Oh yeah. So I'm looking forward to whatever whatever he does next. Which I guess I we, we really don't know because I mean it's still been less than a year since Zero Time Dilemma has been out. I, right. I don't think they've really... I mean, they just came out with the Notary Games collection. I don't think he's really talked about much, like, what he's doing next, so... 
maybe we'll see something about that at like TGS this year. That's probably still pretty early in terms of that, but hopefully by the time like next year or something, sometime in 2018, we'll find out exactly what he wants to do next and just see what kind of crazy thing he comes up with. Yeah. And I mean, especially because of the difficulties of getting the third game out, like I was concerned that it may be one of his last, but I'm hoping that it's not. Good old hope. Hope, 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 hope. <laughs> that's that's you saying hope a lot, not just me being like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the confusion. Call back to a previous episode humor. It is. So yeah, final thoughts on Zeroscape? Play it. Okay, there you go. <laughs> um, no, the I honestly do think that the Nonary Games um, edition is your best bet and how to play these games. Uh, you're going to get full voice acting in, in 999. You're going to get VLR pretty much um, exactly as it was, except for, you know, not touch screen if it's on PS4 but or PC. But it works really well. Um the stories are still great. The art is beautiful. Uh, it, it's a good way to, to get those games. And then obviously Zero Time Dilemma you'll have to buy uh, separately, but I would say that A-plus you should definitely do so. Um, great stories, great characters, great music. Um, the music is really good at like nailing emotional and stressful points. Um what else? Uh, if you like puzzle games, this is your jam. There's a lot of puzzles for you. There's <laughs> a lot of puzzles. There's a lot of good ones. Some of them, like, once you solve it, you're like, oh, my God. that I feel like a genius. <laughs> so um, there's that. <laughs> uh, I don't know what else. Uh, the the di- there's a difference between the known the the notary games on PS4 and Vita. Like there's a ten dollar difference. If that makes any difference to you, all right. Because fifty on PS4, forty on Vita. I played it on PS4. Not that it matters to any of you guys, <laughs> but I did play it on PS4. I don't know the PC price, but probably somewhere around that ballpark. Probably. But yeah, it's a good series of games, and definitely. I th- we would both highly, highly recommend them. Yes. A plus, 100%. Go buy. Go play. Don't just buy them. You have to play them, too. Play the game. Yes. <laughs> play the game. Zzz. There are multiple. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's going to do it for this episode. Yeah, we did it. We did it. Another good uh, good old retrospective in the books. Whoop, whoop. So go ahead and uh, check out seasonalanimecheckup.com or sac.cool for more information. You can also check out my Zero Time Dilemma review on there if you want to find out more thoughts of or what I think more about that particular game in general. And... I have a mini review on my game of the year list. Okay, I, I wasn't sure if you'd written about it or not. Yeah, I did a mini review on the Game of the Year list, um, so that's that's also there if you're interested. So you can find that at anladium.com. Follow us on Twitter, at Anime Checkup. Uh, you want to send me stuff for the Anime Podcast, hit me up on Twitter or find a way to email me on the website. It's on there somewhere. 
I'll have to do that sometime this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we got next week. Next week we have a kind of shorter episode because we've already recorded it. But yep. we're going to talk about Nintendo and and the mobile games they've put out and whether or not they've worked. Pretty much they haven't. That's going to be the kind of gist we give. And, you know, we have some ideas for other games that Nintendo should try and put out on mobile, which we think would work a little bit better than what they've kind of done so far. Yep. So look forward to that next weekend. And until then, I don't know, seek a way out. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.